Good afternoon, everyone. If you're listening in the afternoon, this is Take to Take. My name is Luke Burrows with Nick Robinson and Patrick Talon. It is April 20th, the 20th day of the fourth month. Uh, we're about eight days after the NHL trade deadline. And I I wouldn't say there is there is one trade that we missed that we're going to have to get to. But other than that, covered it pretty well last show. Before we do that, we're going to talk about something pretty cool that happened last night. Uh, and it's hard to miss. But Patrick Marlowe broke the record. He played his 1,768th game in the NHL, breaking Gordie Howe's record for most games played ever in the NHL. Straight up. That is the designation. I've got some fun facts about Patrick Marlowe. His first game was October 1st, 1997. And funny enough, on October 1st, 1997, the Montreal Canadiens and the Ottawa Senators played each other. It was a 2-2 tie. That 2-2. No, no tie break. It was 2-2. <laughs> With goals scored by Stefan Richet, he scored both of Montreal's. Radic uh, Ottawa Ottawa goals came from Sergei Sergei Joltuk and Igor Kravchuk. Assists That's coming Chuck. from Radic Bonk. Uh, one of the first players I ever knew was Radic Bonk, as well as Mark Recchi, Darcy Tucker. A little bit of a throwback there on Vancouver's side. They played. They didn't play on the first. They played two days later uh, with goals from Mark Messier, Pavel Bure. Bit of a bit of an interesting throwback. 168 current players in the NHL were not born when Marlowe debuted in the NHL. Wow. Wow. And Patrick Marlowe has played at the same time as 37% of all NHL players to ever play the game. Over a third of all players to ever play. I that one blows me away more than anything. Yeah, that's that 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 one was remarkable when I heard that yesterday. That's that's really something. It is. And I last night's game, it was they lost three two in uh shootout to Vegas. Marlowe didn't get a point. And what's actually interesting about last night's game, four goals were scored, only two people recorded assists. I thought that was kind of cool. But Patrick Marlowe, um, we weren't alive when he started playing. He's he's been a staple in the league for for obviously 1768 games nick briefly what has patrick marlowe kind of meant to you then for the past 21 years well when i was a kid my favorite player was uh danny heatley when he played for the senators and then heatley in 2009 got traded to the sharks and uh, i remember at the time oh look at it's danny heatley now playing with these two experienced vets in Thornton and Marlowe that have been productive forever at the time. That's what everybody was sort of saying. And, you know, you fast forward 11 years later, Heatley's out of hockey and he was the youngest of that three and Thornton and Marlowe are both still going strong, especially, uh, you know, um, Joe Thornton is on the Maple Leafs and he's had a really good start to his season. Then, you know, Patrick Marlowe, obviously, like you said, breaking the all-time games played record. Um, It's remarkable in this day and age, just the physical toll that hockey takes on the body um, you know, compare not no disrespect to Gordy Howe. He's Gordy Howe, one of the best to ever do it. You can make the debate that he's the best player of all time, but you know, just the, the physical toll, the difference in the style of hockey in those eras, Gordy Howe's compared to Patrick Marlowe's. Yeah, it's it's really, really something to play that many games in this day and age. I think doing playing that many games on its own is very impressive playing that many games throughout the changes that the sport has gone through. His first game was in 1997 and we're in 2021. The game has changed. And if you look back, you can actually see his first game in 1997. Uh, Nick, I know you're a big Randy Hahn fan. He's on the call and he was really excited about watching him. And then there was actually a couple of highlights of him playing against Boston, him, him against Thornton when Thornton was on Boston. Funny enough, they'd become teammates for so long. I think playing that long, staying healthy that long throughout the change the game has gone through and also staying productive. That's the biggest thing, staying productive throughout your entire career. The amount of 30 to 40 goal seasons, he's had 86 points uh, in 2005, over 82, 82 games played. The fact that he stayed that consistent, stayed that healthy and adapted throughout all those changes, I think is pretty cool. And I was listening to TSN 690 earlier today and Kerry Frazier was on and he was talking about what it was like to ref those guys. And he would ref, San Jose games often with Thornton and Marlowe. And he was saying Marlowe and he wasn't exaggerating is probably the most genuine person to ever play the game. And he, he really believed that because Kerry Frazier, he's obviously been repping for a long time and said, 
he would never give someone a, a, an illegal a, a cheap shot shove or anything like that if there was a bad call he wouldn't fight it he would just you know keep his head down and continue whereas someone like thornton who if he did something you didn't like he, you would let him hear it and he just pretty cool to hear a ref like that talk about a player because you know it's not often you hear refs have that many good things to say about a player so uh good for patrick marlowe i think this is a really really awesome record and i'm happy he got it in san jose especially back where he started so i like it uh and we were saying before the show he's certainly not done he's not just going to break the record and walk away uh, he hasn't really talked about his future, but I don't see him leaving anytime soon. Another three healthy seasons and he could be near 2000, which would be pretty darn cool. So we will. That's a bit, that's a bit of a stretch at 41, but you know, uh, well, the, he's the guy done, who previously held the record played a bit longer. So we'll see. We'll circle back. <laughs> Let's jump forward 24 years to today. And the one trade that happened that we missed uh, came in after we went off air last week uh, on the trade deadline day. Uh, there were actually a few, but the one big one was between the Washington Capitals and the Detroit Red Wings. The Washington Capitals receive Anthony Mantha, and that is all. The Detroit Red Wings receive Jacob Verana, Richard Panic, a 2021 first and a 2022 second patrick i'm going to start with you because you have already designated this a quote-unquote fleece what do you think uh is fleece the right word well that's the word you use that's the word i used in our uh maybe not a fleece i guess a lopsided a a pretty significant lopsided trade because you're not getting nothing in anthony mantha and that's not what i'm trying to suggest you're getting more of a sure thing in mantha um his debut has been excellent with the washington capitals um a lot of people are saying it's an age thing and he's more ready he's only a year older than Jakob Vrana. um you can look over the course of their careers their production is almost identical i think mantha is marginally better uh than Jakob Vrana. and then throwing in a guy like richard ponick that's a good third liner um so i guess that's what the second is for but for steve eiserman if you're a detroit red wings fan you should be ecstatic you're getting a, a top six a good goal scoring left winger. You're getting a good third liner. You're getting a first and a second round pick for just, for just Anthony Mantha. I think that's unbelievable. And I think if you were to list a couple guys that I wouldn't have envisioned on the move on trade deadline day, I wouldn't have picked Vrana or maybe, maybe Mantha, but not Vrana for sure. I thought he was a core piece to that Washington uh, group who definitely got under uh, um, overlooked and looking at um, the last five, five points in the last three seasons combined, uh, Mantha has had 65 points, which is 0.42 points per game. Verona has had 96 points, which is 0.5 points per game. There's not a big difference between these two players. And I think if I'm looking at a winner right now, it's immediately, it's the Detroit Red Wings now and it's the Detroit Red Wings in, in 10 years. So great trade by Eiserman. I will say I, on this. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. I'll, I'll say oh, I was going to say, um, I, I like it for Detroit. Obviously I think Eiserman, you know, got a boatload here for a player. But I think I, I was really on the side of the Red Wings with this one at first. But I think, you know, call it, call it a bit of recency bias. Look how Mantha started in Washington. Yes. He's got four goals and an assist in four games. He's, you know, he started excellently. He's gotten off and running. Finally looks to be over that sort of slump he was in toward in sort of the past two years in Detroit, right? Not scoring really up to what they expected, even though they forked out big money to him in the summer. I think we're sort of underrating here how good Anthony Mantha can be if he starts to convert more because he is that good of a play driver yes. and just didn't have the offensive tools around him in Detroit. But, you know, with the core group there is there in Washington, I can suddenly see Anthony Mantha becoming, you know, a 60, you know, to 70 point guy, yeah. even though he's been a bit under that in his time in Detroit so far in his NHL career, I can see him making that jump because of that core group in Washington being able to get the best out of him offensively and convert some of that simple play driving into actual point totals. Again, I like Verona a lot. He, you know, played a good, starting two games with Detroit. We'll see how that shakes up. We'll see what the picks end up being. But if the Capitals go deep in the playoffs again and Anthony Mantha continues his hot start, I think it's less of a win, although still a win for Detroit. I agree with everything you've said, Nick. I will say for for Detroit's case, receiving a first and a second with the position their franchise is in right now, you can't really go wrong with that. Uh, Though Mantha wasn't near being old uh, per se, but Perhaps both teams won the trade, and which just just real quick, there was also talk about how Verona they 
I don't know. I don't know if it was attitude problems, but he had a hard time carving out his role. And that's the one thing where, like what Nick said, you're getting a sure thing with Anthony Mantha. You know what you're getting. Not that you don't with Verona, but I think there were some inconsistencies and maybe some frustration on Verona's level that he didn't know what his role was going to be if he was a core member. So a fresh start. But yeah, There's also that. a cost certainty factor here too, right? Yes. They're dumping Ponic's salary, which they clearly didn't want to pay. And they're getting a for sure salary in Anthony Mantha. Yes. He's on a multi-year contract. You don't have to worry about, you know, Vrana's production suddenly spiking and paying him more than yeah. a player like Mantha, yeah. you're getting certainty. And that's when you're in a cap league, a flat cap league, like we are now, um, these are things you got to be mindful of. Yes. Enough about that. Let's talk about the Canucks for the rest of the show. They're back. Finally. I think everyone's pretty darn happy about that. They returned on Sunday with a game against the Leafs and I, I've, I've had, I've struggled putting this into words, what happened on Sunday night, because going into the game, you see everyone talking about the Leafs are going to lose because that's just how it is. But did people really think the Leafs were going to lose best team in the North beat a team that hasn't played in like three weeks and a team that just isn't very good. I don't think a lot of people thought that that being said, Vancouver comes from behind and Bo Horvat wins it in overtime for Vancouver. I, a lot happened, a lot happened leading up to that game. And it starts with last third. They were supposed to start on Friday against Edmonton. It starts with last Thursday, JT Miller spoke out saying, basically said, we don't think the team is ready. We were not sure we should be playing the team, the NHLPA and the NHL reorganized and they postponed their return to play by 48 hours, which I think helped out a lot because even now there's still a lot of goalies that are uh, a lot of players, goalies included, as we'll get to shortly, that uh, still aren't healthy to play. Thatcher Demko, the starting goalie, wasn't good to go on Sunday. Doesn't matter because Braden Holtby played out of his mind for the Canucks. And it was just a, a incredible show of perseverance on on the side of a team that had been facing a lot of adversity so i'm not sure if either of you watched the game it was the uh hockey night canada sunday version so it was it was in the spotlight but man did it feel good to see to see leafs fans struggle after that one a lot of them calling it zamboni (laughs) driver 2.0 either of you any any thoughts on that debacle on sunday night well, that's got to be one of the feel-good stories of the season, right? The COVID-ravaged Canucks, you know, coming in and beating the Toronto Maple Leafs. They got to play the whole game, sure. Uh, I heard, I saw the Doesn't word, we, we, the term, we got goalied <laughs> being thrown around by a lot of the Leaf fans. But, um, you know, regardless, it's, it, I think it was analytically the lowest percent chance a home team had to win yep. in the past decade. And they did it. And I think, you know, I'm always for that, seeing a, a massive upset like that. So good for the Canucks. They, they've had to battle for this. And it's been, been a really tough month for them. So I, I'm always good for feel-good stuff like this. Yep. Um, I think what's good is knowing that they're healthy and all like the win is huge. And I, I watched that, I watched the overtime and I was thinking, no way, that's pretty cool. Um, and for it to be the captain, you couldn't have written it better. Um, and also just after the game, hearing that some of the reports were actually a little bit inaccurate. And well, when he yeah. said, you know, I don't know who this, someone asked about an IV. He said, I don't know who, who told that yeah. story. I'd never had an IV. Um, people on Twitter can say whatever they want. And that's, so, yeah, they mentioned that. So that was a good thing to see. And I think, yeah, for a Canucks fan, Luke, who, to be honest, this Canucks team was not having a did not have a very good start, obviously, to go through something as troubling as COVID to come back and win against the Maple Leafs, no less, who are on, I think, like a, what, a four game losing streak and their power plays one for or two for 47 or something like that. I don't know. I'm not keeping track, but I, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see. So good on the Canucks. Yeah. Just, just to the note about um, misleading publications coming out of Vancouver. That's just hard to see. Uh, someone reported Quinn Hughes and they know who it was. I'm not going to say his name. They know who, who reported that, but someone reported Quinn Hughes was on an IV and he just wasn't. So especially in a time like that, you don't like to, you don't like to see that. Um, but they, they, they got to him pretty quick. So tough to see, but yeah, good to see everyone's healthy again tonight. I think there's a few more bodies coming back, but a few big names, just from a hockey standpoint, a few big names still out for Vancouver, uh, including Thatcher Demko and as well, Elias Pedersen, not related to COVID, but at this point they're saying they're just trying to get Pedersen back before the season's over. So something is going on there, but I guess if you're going to miss a season leading up to your prime, this one isn't a terrible one to miss. 
now we will transition to another team uh, in the North Division. That's the Montreal Canadiens, and they they played a hockey game last night, didn't they, Pat? Sure they did. they sure, sure did. did. One way to put it. And uh, Vancouver is ten points behind Montreal with five games in hand. Not going to say anything, but I'm just going to saying it by not saying. Maybe say so keep an eye that. on that. It's not impossible for that <laughs> last uh, that fourth spot in the North Division, Patrick. Did you did you get through last night? Okay, uh, I'll let I'll let you tell the story of what happened because it's uh, it's kind of interesting. How did either of you down. watch the game just out of curiosity? Uh, I didn't. I saw after the stall goal. I saw one nothing Montreal, and then I went back to the score app after the game and saw what happened. What um, happened uh, well, it was honestly that was one of the most exciting games I saw. First two periods, just speaking on those two. Uh, it was super tight. Um, also, looking at what Montreal's held McDavid and Drysaddle to over the course of the season, they've played like six games against Edmonton, and McDavid and Drysaddle both have yet to score a goal. I think McDavid maybe has one, and the fact they've combined for like four points against the Habs all season, while guys like Drake Batherson can, you know, snipe a bar down against Montreal, it's really confusing. I think it was only a matter of time before Connor McDavid broke loose, and he did, obviously, exposing the weakness that is uh, Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson. Not to sound like a broken record, but um, I, th- I think it's a breakdown. And I think now you're seeing a lot of conspiracies floating around Hap's Twitter. Um, you know my thoughts. I've, I've said this a million times to start the season. While I liked all the moves isolated on their own, with the exception of the Joel Edmondson one, I think Montreal is a significant blind spot on the way they evaluate defensemen. Um, it's a very old school mentality. You look at a team like Ottawa, who is getting puck movers like Victor Mete, drafting Jake Sanderson, um, a guy like Eric Brandstrom, someone like Bernard Docker, and then you have a team like Montreal doing this. I think that's the biggest issue, and I think it was it was a defensive lapse. And there's also the, the conspiracy that's really floating around is that Bergevin is having a lot of influence on the way the team is being coached. Because if you look at Dominique Ducharme's uh, resume, you look at the way he's coached, the offensive team he's coached, the offensive players he's coached, he's an offensive guy who cites analytics, who cites puck possession, who, who cites you know being creative with the puck, but they're playing a style that is reminiscent of a guy like um, like Daryl Sutter, very dull, boring hockey. And I think what a lot of people are seeing on Hab's Twitter is maybe this is a, a Bergevin kind of pushing Ducharme to do this. And I, and I think there's some truth to that because look at all the success Ducharme has had in the past. He's not a, he's not a defensive coach. He never has been, but for whatever reason, they're playing not to lose. So um, it, it, it'll, it'll continue. And if they somehow miss the playoffs, I think they're going to fully clean house. And I, I think they should, to be honest, I wouldn't be too upset if they missed the playoffs. And I mean that. Wow, well, how the times have changed on that one, eh? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so you're a I, well, fan now. It, I'm not sure. It, you you did pose that. Uh, I, I did see you pose that uh, conspiracy theory about the uh, quote unquote about Dominic Ducharme. Um, I will say though, you know, while he does have a really solid coaching resume, I, I I wouldn't be as far as to say that he's like absolved of a lot of responsibility just because yeah. it might be forced on him. Just because. I would say, you know, how many years did he work under Claude Julien as an assistant? Like at least two, two or three? Yeah. Two and a half, right. three, about yeah. that, right? And I would say he perhaps picked up a lot of his tendencies from studying Claude Julien, yep. therefore applying it to his own philosophies and now onto the Montreal Canadiens. And I think that's maybe more yep. accurate of what we're saying or what we're seeing because I'm not sure how much a GM can force a coach to play a certain right. way. At the end of the day, Dominic Ducharme's got to know, you know, very well that his job is on the line right now. They're evaluating his performance as it is right now. And he's got, got to put the team himself in a position to win every night. And, you know, we're not seeing that with the Habs. Um, And, you know, your point on defensemen, I think you and I have had more private conversations in the past (laughs) three weeks than we ever have. And it's usually all about the Montreal Canadiens defense, which is great. I love it. Um, but they, you know, like you said, Pat, I think you hit the nail on the head. They really cannot get it sorted on the back end. It's nope. just confusing move after confusing move after confusing yep. move. The Joel Edmondson contract, we said it, you know, back in our off season show that it's a disaster. Yep. And we're seeing that in full force now. Yep. It's quite entertaining for an outsider. I will. Say. Hey, I'm all, I'm all for the collapse. I, I, I really am. And I said before, isolate the moves on their own this off season. I think they're fine. Domi, for example, is a healthy scratch for the second game in a row. Isolate the moves on their own, even the move like the acquiring John Merrill and Eric Gustafson. 
those are fine moves on their own. Nothing is wrong with those moves on their own. It's the it's the big picture. And I think we can look back to our shows where the two of you, and I will um, admit that I was wrong about hyping up the bubble performance of a team, uh, especially their two young centers. Um, you, you don't build on a team that was 24th. You know, they're not going all in on a team that was a contender. These all in moves were on a team that finished 24th and, you know, did well in the playoffs. They did do well, but I, again, it's, it's the big picture. It's the long-term goal here. And um, yeah, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but well, we, we had that episode where we all, <clears throat> it took our L's and I didn't have any L to take. And now I'm taking it just a couple weeks later. So hyping up a bubble contender couldn't be me, but <laughs> I don't more... think they're this bad, by the way. Sorry. I don't think they're as bad as what we're seeing. I don't, I don't think they are. Okay, the... Well, first overall team in the North, like we saw, but I don't a, think they are this bad. That's a perfect statement to segue with because the Montreal Canadiens lost to the Ottawa Senators by a score of four, nothing on Saturday. And Ottawa seems to be doing Vancouver's work. Well, Vancouver was away on COVID <laughs> protocol. They just beat the flames. They beat the Canadians doing good work over there in Ottawa. Um, Nick, nothing, no huge news coming out of Ottawa, except for you've, you've got some, some new bodies, some new exciting players to to watch for the next, I don't know, nine games left in their season. Anything to say on on the newbies that have come to Are we approaching recently? nine games? Sorry, are we approaching nine games left on the season? Yeah, it's about nine, ten. Otherwise, ten, so Toronto, 11, Winnipeg, 11, yeah. That's so weird. Sorry, go ahead. Vancouver has like nearly 20, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll say on the Senators, you know, uh, no news is always good news for uh, Senators fans and the organization, it seems. Um, but you know, it always seems to, the news head always seems to rear its, uh, ugly face towards us. But anyways, uh, with the senators, yeah, it, like you said, Luke, they've got some young players back in the fold. Now, um, Shane Pinto made his debut against Montreal looked really solid against Calgary right, right, last right. night. Um, so that's, that's at least exciting. Jacob Bernard Docker played last week. And, um, I wrote about this for fan sided, uh, this week, just about the Senator's defense post deadline and, you know, why it's looking a lot better because they've taken Eric Branson out. They've taken Braden Coburn out and, you know, they've put in a guy like Victor Mete, who they got for free from a rival. And I, I cannot stop saying that because I can't believe they got this guy. Um, they've elevated Eric Branstrom into their top four. And suddenly the Ottawa Senators look a lot more tidy defensively than they have in what feels like years, at least since the beginning of this rebuild in 2017-18. So perhaps now uh, in the nation's capital, we're starting to see the process, as they like to call it working to some degree so um you know maybe for for the first time in a long time bit of a bright spot for senators fans and um you know this season's been gone since that very ugly trip out west early on in the season <laughs> where they were taken to the slaughterhouse in vancouver and edmonton but you know this is this is what the fans want to see now they want to see these young players in big situations they want to see the process they want to see what it's going to look like down the road and with guys like Pinto and Bernard Docker being slotted in it becomes a bit more clear what the picture is so I think the best thing that the Senators can do right now is keep playing these young guys and Pierre Dorian do not touch this roster in the offseason do not ruin it again don't need it don't need all the big uh, gritty additions again well Vancouver is uh packing up the slaughterhouse and bringing it to the senators uh, following tonight's game against Toronto or no, sorry. Yeah. That's out. That's in Ottawa, right? Are those games in Ottawa? Uh, I believe it's a split. Do they split? Okay. Well, two and two. Ottawa's in Vancouver for that first one. Still works for sure. Um, those are four very critical games for Vancouver. If we're talking about playoff push four games against Ottawa, maybe couldn't have come at a better time. Assuming Ottawa's going to, keep up the charade of helping out the Canucks, but we'll see four in a row. I don't remember in, in that West trip you were talking about, was that four straight in a row? It was a three game against okay. Vancouver and then Ottawa followed it up with two. And I don't even want to uh, look up again, how many goals they gave up yes. in that stretch. Um, um, four in a row is interesting. Great. Even in a, even in a season where there have been series, I haven't seen four in a row much. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Ottawa did a four in a row against Calgary. I, I actually, Ottawa did a four in, a five in six against Calgary okay. uh, and earlier in the season. And didn't Ottawa you know, win a lot of those? 
Yeah, but you'll you'll find, um, and I'm sure I'll feel the same thing. You'll find by that by that third fourth game, you're like really sick of seeing that other team. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'm I'm assuming this is due to the reschedule in Vancouver. But okay, that'll do it for our teams. When we come back, we'll get into south of the border in Columbus. John Tortorella has chosen another victim, another player suffering on the bench. We'll get into. Who's going to make the playoffs in all the divisions because we are so good at predictions and we will talk Calder. That will be back after this short break. Okay, Max Nomi, the play, you came over from Montreal. When was that, Pat? How long ago was that? That was know, the beginning, beginning of the end of the playoffs. I don't know. Okay. Beginning of the offseason. He's been benched for, well, tonight he's going to be benched for two straight games. And I mean, Pat, you're, you're going to know him better than any of us, but he's, he's not necessarily a player you would see being benched on a typical team. Columbus Blue Jackets, when it comes to benching, not a typical team. Obviously we saw it with Line. Uh, well, yeah, we were seeing it with Line. We saw it with uh, Dubois. A lot of questions are being asked about Tortorella's coaching style, yet he's sticking around. And I, I think we said it when, when we were talking about Line being benched, is is his leash is Tortorella's leash getting short? We you'd think so. And then tonight he's benching Max Domi for the second straight game. Patrick, as someone who has watched Max Domi, yes. can you can you all theorize why this might be happening? And do you think it's on Domi, or do you think you've got to start pointing at Tortorella? Uh, I think it's both. For starters, I think Tortorella is as good as gone once this offs. I think Kekalainen is going to hang on once the season's done. Whole. He'll get rid of him and reevaluate. I think Kekalainen did a good job of starting the rebuild. Obviously, his deadline was really good. I think Torrello is as good as gone. I just think given COVID and given all the ramifications and stuff, you're just going to keep it going until the end of the season. Columbus is not in a position to win, clearly. As far as the scratching, I would put this, believe it or not, I'd put this more on Domi. Um, Domi has been basically a negative everything player. Corsi goals for, expected goals for, Fenwick, literally any metric you want to cite. He has been a non-factor, a non non-contributor um, for that team. And I think I was reading on the athletic. I don't know if you guys saw um, a game against Chicago. I don't remember who it was, uh, but he, someone on Chicago very lightly. Oh, it was Connor Murphy. There we go. Uh, lightly elbowed Domi in, in what looked to be the face Domi. And I've seen this a million times as I have family's when he was on Montreal, he has a temper and some guys just cannot contain it whatsoever. He cross-checked him in the back, threw him down and just started feeding punches. Murphy didn't even drop his gloves and Tortorella was furious. And then Domi went to the podium and said, yeah, well, I can't really comment on a guy's character. Domi has a temper and this is really frustrating as a Habs fan. So uh, again, I think one game scratch is enough, but if I'm going to point to point my fingers at someone, I'm definitely pointing it at Domi because he has been, nothing short of a disappointment and just looking at his stats compared to Josh Anderson, uh, for example, Domi only has uh, 19 goals or sorry, 19 points, seven goals. Anderson has 15 goals and like 20 something points. So um, it's, it's weird. And I just, I cite back to the Galchenyuk trade. You turned Galchenyuk into Domi and Domi popped off and then basically Galchenyuk into Anderson. Anderson's doing well and Domi struggling. So um, I, I would point the fingers at Domi. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to try and absolve Max Domi of any blame for this. Like we've always said, it's been very apparent in a bunch of teams that he's played for that he is a big personality. And we all, I think, did question to some degree how he would get along with John Tortorella when that trade was made. Um, but again, we, we've talked about the Columbus Blue Jackets way more on the show this season than I ever yeah. thought we would. Uh, they've been in the headlines a lot, a lot more than I thought they would. But, um, you know, with, with Domi, it's just another case of bad mix with Tortorella. And I think... Um, we, we've all said for some time now that it's pretty clear that John Tortorella, John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets are headed for a divorce here um, in the offseason. It really just seems like a matter of time. And, you know, this is this is all just news adding on to that and reinforcing the point that the mix between the GM, the coach and the players, it's just not there anymore. It's gone completely south this season. So, um yeah, I'm not going to be surprised about anything that comes out of Columbus in the offseason to react to a situation like this. But for Max Domi's sake, uh, I do remember that incident in Chicago, Pat. Um, he's got to get it together, too, because his play isn't exactly keeping him in a lineup or in any coach's good books. 
Yeah, I think I think I would agree with both of you, and I'd probably swing just due to his track record in doing this. I'd probably swing the blame more towards Tortorella. Obviously, you can't blame the coach for how well. That's a different argument, but I'm not going to blame Tortorella for how Domi's been playing. But I think if this is going to stir up some drama again, I would maybe point my finger more so at Tortorella. And the thing is, I expected we I think we all expected Line and Tortorella to be a disaster. Domi's a gritty, for the most part, hardworking player. I thought would work well under Tortorella. And I think I think one game sends a message. I think two is unnecessary. So we're going to talk awards in the near future, both both <laughs> predictions we made at the beginning of the year, as well as uh, we're going to give ourselves a second chance to get those predictions right. But today we're going to keep to one, and that is the Calder Trophy. Now, we we know who we, who we predicted at the beginning of the year. Uh, Patrick, I believe you said Kaprizov, and Nick and I were both Stutzla. I want to, I want, I don't necessarily need your predictions, but I want to talk about, um, talk about, those in color contention. So just a very light uh, forethought here. I've got three players. Kaprizov, 37 points in 44 games. Stutzla, 24 points in 43 games. And then Jason Robertson on the Stars, who I think a lot of players or a lot of us, a lot of fans weren't really anticipating. 33 points in 39 games. And he has been good as of late. He has been very good. Correct me if I'm wrong. You interviewed him for the Year 5 Collective. I've I've interviewed him twice. Yeah, once for the Year Five Collective, once go. for uh, a class. I've met him as well. I've, Third uh, leading point scorer on Dallas. Yeah, he's uh, more than Ben Heiskanen. He's looking really good, and I like he. I think he had a bit of a slow start to the season, but he has picked it up. He's been looking very good. Really come out of left field. Yeah, yeah. Nick, I'll, I'll, we'll start with you because. As we were mentioning this in our break, you have maybe another player aside from Stutzla that you'd like to uh, give some props to. So Kaprizov, uh, Roberts, and Stutzla, or your fourth, what are you making of this year's Calder pool? Uh, just on my the guy who I predicted to win, Tim Stutzla, again, I'm pretty happy with how he's played this year. Um, he's been pretty much what I expected, pretty much all offense. He's contributing well. He's made the sense power play look really good. Um, you know, some of the points have died out a little more recently, but I still think he looks fine. And, um, I expect him to take a, he's going to be a lot better next year, right? When the senators are a bit better and he puts on some more muscle and develops a bit more, but the Ottawa Senator that should be getting floated around in this race, I think big time in contention right up there with the big guys is Josh Norris. He's now, I think third in rookie point scoring. I, he, I think he hit 30 points last night. Um, he's also become one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL this season. And uh, that's, that's really come out of left field and surprised me. This is a guy that's getting tough matchups every night too. You know, Ottawa doesn't have much at center. So they put, Josh Norris on a line. He's played with Brady Kachuk pretty exclusively all season, a rotating cast on the right wing. It's now Drake Batherson back to where they started and they become a pretty formidable trio for the senators. And um, you know, he's getting tough matchups. He's the guy that plays against Matthews or Tavares. He's the guy that goes against, or was going against early in the season against Pedersen now going against, going to go against Horvat. He gets Monaghan when they play Calgary McDavid and Dreisaitl when they play Edmonton. He gets all the tough matchups as a rookie, and he's scoring. He's he's hot now. He's got, I think, 14 points in his last 15 games, um, and he's really turned up the goal-scoring. Ottawa's put him now on the first power play unit, too, and that's you know dramatically improved. I think they're seventh in the league on the power play since the start of April, and that's corresponded with him being put in that spot. Um, so I would like to officially throw Josh Norris's hat into the Calder race. And I think he should definitely be in consideration and would actually have my first place vote today with absolutely no bias. Patrick, do you think? I like, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I like no. the Josh Norris show. Um, he's been excellent. He's definitely surprised me. Um, as much as I don't like the sense, I can admit the sense have been a lot of fun to watch this year um, when they're not playing Montreal. That is, um, I picked Kaprizov to win it. I had watched him in Russia. I will stick with Kaprizov because I think he's going to win it. 59 points in 44 games. That's not right. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> 44 points in 37 games. I was looking at the wrong page, but he's been... Yeah, Kaprizov. Uh, yes, he's been unbelievably fun to watch. And I think uh, a team like Minnesota has needed that forever. 
Can you think of a super skilled guy in Minnesota that has been that exciting in a long time? They've been, they've had good players. Parise was good in his prime. Spurgeon's good right now. Dumba is okay. Spurgeon's never, very good right now. I think Spurgeon's excellent. Spurgeon is a top 15 defenseman. A good Nick, Nick and I, I feel like Nick and I only really talk about defensemen and what, how we see defensemen. Cause I think we agree about everything when it comes to defense. It's weird. Can we talk about forwards next week? Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm going to, I pick Caprizo up to start. I'll stick with Caprizo, but I do like the Josh Norris shout. I think that's a, that's a good pick. And um, Jason Robertson, especially um, 33 points in 39 games, more points than Klingberg, more points than Jamie Ben, who has been on the, uh, who's been declining. Uh, past couple of years, Gurionov. Um, I'll stick with Kaprizov. One person, and I'm sort of to go off, sorry to go off topic here. Uh, Rupe Hens has 37 points in 32 games. He is over a point per game this this year. He had a nice goal last night, and no one is talking about it. And Dallas, Dallas is, being carried by the young guns. Like it's good. It's good to see. And Dallas was in a position we talked at the end of the year about if they could be potentially rebuilding are they going to go for a cup run again we're not really sure but i think having those guys emerge is uh, is solid for them well yeah looking at robertson and hints and yeah the, the younger players in that team they seem to be coming in at the perfect time because as you alluded to patrick their older players um jamie ben for one maybe hitting the decline so we'll see there but in terms of calder uh i fully agree with jason robertson he has to be up there especially the best with this the best robertson in the family I think late season oh without a doubt probably <laughs> the only one that would ever be in that discussion so i mean initially playoffs were supposed to or regular season was supposed to end about 20 days from now that's changed a bit especially for the north division due to the vancouver canucks rescheduling much of their season so we're about I mean, depending on where you're looking, we're about maybe a month, just just under a month away from the playoffs starting. And I want to ask you guys, I mean, we, we said it earlier, most teams are 10 to 12 games away from finishing their season. Let's talk division by division who you think is going to stick in the playoffs. I'm going by points percentage here because if you're not going by points percentage, what are you doing? We're going to start in the West Division. One, two, three, four right now is Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota, St. Louis. Do you guys think that sticks? Who do you think moves there, Nick? Yeah, I, I think St. Louis has got to get that spot, right? They're, they're the most talented team outside of, that, uh, outside of that front three. I think the Wild being right in there has, you know, uh, surprised people. But again, if you watch them this year with Kaprizov, he's going to keep them in that spot. And we all knew that Vegas and uh, Colorado were virtually unmovable. Um, I saw some people talking about how San Jose was suddenly in the race a couple of weeks ago, but I, I think they really took themselves back out this week. Um, and it's going to come down to Arizona or St. Louis. I, as, as okay as Arizona has been this year, I just think St. Louis is too talented to miss out. And I think if they squeeze in and finally just put it together for a good stretch of season, they can maybe surprise people, but, um, who knows coyotes have got good goaltending and they've been pretty decent all year so that's going to be a tight one but i still think st louis on sheer talent gets in there i agree i think st louis gets in there and i know we were going points percentage but points wise they're one point back of arizona with three games in hand they've been just fine this year they haven't been amazing but they haven't been so bad and obviously the names we expected to be on the move uh, vince dunn mike hoffman who's kind of struggled they're still there so they still have the pieces they still have the center depth they still have the offense and the defense and kind of the goaltending to do it, put it together. And look, every year I've been, Nick, I know can attest to this as well, have had kind of high hopes for Arizona to maybe do some damage and they haven't. And I feel like St. Louis will grab that spot and I hope they do it because I, I like the Blues as a team. And on Arizona, Jacob Chikorin, uh, hello and welcome to the Norris Trophy conversation. Yep. <laughs> like what a year yep. he's had. And Phil Castle yeah. too, very underrated year. He's, he's rebounded nicely, 34 points in 46 games leading them. He, he's Looks done him good. up in fantasy. I sure did. Thank you, Pat, for that. No problem. All right, moving on to the central. And this one is interesting because one, two, three are basically set in stone, not not the position within the three, but those three teams, Carolina, Tampa, Florida, they're just about confirmed. That fourth spot, though, currently held by Dallas, Nashville, and Chicago are not out of the conversation. We just talked about Dallas being carried by their young players. Patrick, do you think Dallas sticks? Nashville is right outside the door. 
And like I said, Chicago is there as well. Uh, for the sake of having a hot take, I'll say that Nashville grabs it. I like them as a playoff team. I like the decision to hang on to Ekholm. Uh, I like their playoff experience better. Um, will it be Dallas? Probably. But for the sake of having a hot take, we haven't had a hot take on this show, and I think a couple weeks, a couple months at least. So okay, well, it doesn't really work when you say you're picking it just when because you preface it's a hot it take, as but a that's hot okay. take. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll edit that so it sounds like you're coming out of left. Okay, field. that's all right. Starting over, Nashville gets that spot over Dallas. Nick? Man, it's tough because I, I think Dallas might actually be good and Nashville might actually not be good um, in this race. Uh, I know that's some big hard hitting analysis, but um, it, it's tough because Dallas has the harder schedule remaining. They still get a couple of games to play each against uh, Carolina, Florida, and Tampa Bay. What those teams sort of do ahead of the playoffs, maybe to rest guys could factor in, but they still do have two games against the Blackhawks and two against the Red Wings. Uh, if you're Dallas, those are four must win hockey games to get in here. They do have a few games in hand on Nashville. Um, and they are, like you said, Luke, better on points percentage right now. Again, for the same reason I said St. Louis, I just, I'm going to say on pure talent that I think I like Dallas has to do it, right? I, I, I thought Chicago was going to be that one yeah. random team that was bad and made the playoffs this year. But I, I think finally their poor defensive play has caught up to them and it's, it's really showing now they had a tough outing in Nashville last night. And this is a big three games for Chicago um, all against Nashville. And they lost the first one last night. So I think they've removed themselves, but I think on sheer talent, Dallas has got to get that spot. And if the goaltending can stay healthy, it's, it's totally possible. I think for Chicago's sake, them making the playoffs this year would, I mean, obviously it's not a bad thing exactly, but it would kind of throw a wrench in their plans with what they're doing. That would just be kind of weird. Yeah. East division. One, two, three, four, Washington, New York Islanders, Pittsburgh, Boston, the only team that is sort of there is the New York Rangers. Even then, uh, that's going to be a struggle for them. This one is probably, well, I mean, the North one maybe will get there, but this one's probably the one that's most set. Patrick, do you see any movement happening in the East Division? No, uh, I think it'll stick. The Islanders could maybe pass Washington for first. They're two points back yeah. a game at hand. That's likely with how good they've been playing. Uh, everything else I think will stick. Boston, though, they gotta. I think they're gonna stick out in that, stay in that fourth spot. But they need to figure out their goal scoring. Teams like Ottawa, Montreal uh, have scored more goals than them this year. You know, Pasternak has been productive, but not productive as we would have liked. I know he was injured to start the season, but Boston needs to figure out their goal scoring. If we want to look back at previous takes, I think a good chunk. I think most of us had Philadelphia finishing first in the division, and they are now sixth, forty-seven points in forty-five games. They've been an absolute disaster. But I think the four stays as is. I think no movement. And I think whoever gets Boston in the first round is going to be kicking themselves because I think they yes. finally figured it out. The addition of Taylor Hall, I think has been really good so far. The addition of Mike Riley has been really, really good so far. Exactly what they needed. As long as the Bruins can stay healthy, I think, you know, they're really, they're back in the fight. As far as I'm concerned, they struggled for a lot of the season, which is unlike the Boston Bruins. But I think if this game, this season were to play out 82 games, you'd suddenly find them all the way up there with one and two back in that division now with yeah. the ads that they've made because they've been that good. And they've helped them that much. Um, so if I'm New York or Washington, which I think they could easily flip flop down the stretch here and fight out for first and second place, whoever gets first place and likely plays Boston in round one, I don't know that I like that matchup for either of them. I think I like the Pittsburgh matchup a little bit more. I agree with you, Nick, uh, saying the team that, that, gets Boston is in for it. Unfortunately for us, that team will not be the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Taylor uh, Hall's 1.8 shooting percentage, by the way, is not actually real anymore. People can stop saying he's bad for shooting historically low. Sorry, Luke, go ahead. Okay. That's a, a good declaration there from Patrick Talon. Finally, this, uh, th this one is, is pretty set as well, maybe more than the last one, but based on Montreal's recent play and, based on just a pipe dream in Vancouver, who knows? One, two, three, four right now. Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Montreal. And I mean, so points percentage-wise here, Montreal, five, four, seven. Vancouver, four, eight, seven. 
points, Montreal 47 in 43 games, Vancouver 37 in 38. So 10 points back, uh, five games in hand. Patrick, I know uh, you're pretty fed up with your team and you want to see them fail because that's just the kind of fan you are, I hang guess. Hang on, hang on. Oh, sorry. What's up? I don't want to see them fail. If missing the playoffs and having some epic collapse brings forth new management and not the status quo, I will not be upset. Of course, there's nothing I want more than this team to have success in the playoffs. I think the playoff picture is set more or less. Just to clarify. So you heard it here first, guys. Patrick wants Van- or Montreal to miss the playoffs <laughs> rather than win the Stanley Cup. That's an interesting take. But from an objective standpoint, yes. Mr. Talon, do you think Montreal misses the playoffs? Man, I can't give you an honest answer because for the last two weeks, there have been must-win after must-win after must-win. Um, looking at the schedule, Montreal plays well against teams like Toronto, and then they play well against Edmonton, holding off guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl. And then for whatever reason, the pesky sends give them uh, a tough matchup. Um, I don't know. There have been games where you would expect them to win. That way they have a cushion. That way they can rest their veterans. They haven't been able to win them. They can't play Cole Caulfield right now because of uh, a major cap oversight. I want to say the playoff picture is set. I think for Montreal to go 500, Vancouver and Calgary would have to basically win out, which I don't think is going to happen. Uh, I think it's set. I think Montreal makes it. It would be some sort of epic collapse if they didn't. But I, I think the top four will stay as is. I agree. I think if Montreal goes 500, Vancouver is pretty hopeless. But, I mean, based on the trend that Montreal is heading, 500 might be uh, a bit difficult for them. Nick, do you have any thoughts from the perspective in the basement? Yeah, I still think it's yeah, it's it's too difficult to task right now, I would say, for um, Vancouver, Calgary to sneak in there. Um, despite any lingering uh, post-COVID hopes of a fan base. But um, again, I, if Montreal limps in, I'm not sure how long they go in the playoffs. No offense to That's anybody. Okay. <laughs> it's it, it, Whoever gets that fourth spot anyways, you're staring down the barrel of a first-round matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I don't think anybody in that, you know, anybody towards the bottom of the division, except for maybe the, the Senators, for crying out loud, could uh, <laughs> give the Leafs a hard time in the playoffs, but um, it's, it's the Jets and the Oilers that I think would give them a harder time um, in a first round series. So I, I, I don't see any movement. I think it's just, it's too set. Now we're too deep in despite the fact that Vancouver suddenly still has 19 games left. Um, but it's, it, it's too much of an ask. I think at this point in the season to run a table and try and make a push. I don't have time to do it now, but I'm going to go back and look at, the space between Montreal and Vancouver prior to Vancouver's shutdown to now. I don't know if Montreal made that margin much wider. Well, Vancouver no, they didn't. wasn't and playing. They didn't. And Vancouver has a much easier schedule from here on out, like a much easier schedule. Montreal has got to go up against Edmonton again and Calgary. Who? Well, is- I will say uh, they, they, Vancouver does play Ottawa four times. That's sandwiched in between games against Toronto, which they've already won one of them. And then they have a stretch uh, with a lot of games against um, Edmonton and Winnipeg. So it's Toronto tonight, right? Toronto tonight. And then, yeah, four against Ottawa coming so up. So what do you guys Toronto think? Again. The, what do you think the ideal matchups are for? I think, I think Toronto matches up the worst against Winnipeg. I think Agreed. they match up the best against I agree. And I also think Montreal. I don't think Toronto up. matches up well against Edmonton. Really, I think I think Toronto's depth just, through and through yeah. takes them over. I think, takes them over Edmonton. And, and I think them. assuming Toronto's goaltending is still in question, uh, I'm not. I'm not. You know, questioning the play of Jack Campbell. He's been phenomenal, but I think like it, going through all the teams. Obviously, they don't want to play Winnipeg. No one wants to play Connor Hellebuck right now. No. And I think they are, Toronto's a very offensive team. They rely on their scoring and. What's another team that does that? The Edmonton Oilers. So I think that would be a heck of a series to watch, but I'm not sure Toronto fans would be saying, yeah, I want to play Edmonton out of anyone. I think they want to be playing Montreal. No, I do agree on the point on uh, on Winnipeg. I just think because of Winnipeg's goaltending, Connor Hallibuck uh, can easily steal a series. And I think that's one Toronto wants to avoid. But, um, you know, Toronto's had success against Edmonton this year, but I'm still not wild about playing uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl for potentially seven games straight if yeah, I'm any exactly. hockey team, right? So that's still one to look out for. And, you know, if the Edmonton Oilers get league average goaltending, they've proven that they can be pretty decent. Yeah. 
Um, and it's just a question of whether or not they can get that. Mike Smith has been good this year. So um, we'll see like, what happens with that. The lack of solid goaltending and the lack of any, any defense that's especially good would make that series a thrill to watch, I would assume. But hot take. I think, well, actually, not really a hot take. Statistically, Montreal is still, despite their troubles, one of the better um, five on five teams in the league. And I think at five on five, they give Toronto a run. We want to talk about their money. power play or not right now? Montreal's or Toronto's? Montre- well, actually, both. But. Toronto's is somehow worse, believe it or not. Um, I think the real debate to be had is Jack Campbell, who has like an 803 in his last five starts. Hey, the, the, the pieces are there for Montreal. Um, who knows if they sneak in in the four spot, they could all of a sudden figure it out and have their first hot run under Ducharme. Yep. Is, it's it's the unpredictability of the Stanley who's Cup Who's the coach behind Montreal's power play? Uh, it's your boy, Alex so, You know what's funny is that Manny Malhotra is in Toronto getting blamed for their power play. Alex <laughs> yeah, Burroughs is in Montreal getting blamed for their power play. So the Canucks are doing everything. Undercover yeah. agents working for the Canucks. You're loving it. You're eating it up. Pretty funny. Um, I don't know. Them... Do, do you guys want to spend now 20 minutes on how the Super League affects the NHL? Do you guys yes, want to do that? Please. Let's do I, it. I wrap up. Couldn't really care less about the Super League, but it has brought upon some pretty good tweets, I will say. All the the third division teams in in England announcing they're not going to be joining the Super League. Good stuff. I I also won't be joining the Super League for those who care. But Doug Ford is running the Super League per Sid Sixero. Let's get into that. That's a yeah, good topic. It's, it's not good. No, um, that that will actually that'll do it for us. We'll talk about that on our own time. But uh, want to thank everyone for listening today. A bit of a longer episode, I believe. Whether we're doing two times a week or one time a week, we can't figure that out. But <laughs> we'll be sure to bring you quality content every time. Uh, until next time, whenever that is, thanks for listening, and we will see you then. Thank you.